0: And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, Lord. Holy Spirit, fall upon us at this time. We pray that we might understand well the word that you have communicated to us. In power and wisdom, Lord, we depend upon you. In your Son's name we pray, amen. Please be seated if you would. Grab your Bibles and turn, if you would, to Genesis 17. Uh, Genesis 17, the text I just read, first 11 verses. Uh, It would probably help if you had your scriptures in front of you. We have some in the back uh, that we can give a hold of for you, because rather than walking straight through the text today, we're going to kind of bounce back and forth between a couple of different ideas. So it might be helpful to have that text before you. Our Our text begins with the statement that Abram was 99 years old. 99 years old, now that in itself is kind of remarkable, um, but largely we're going to end up ignoring that. Uh, There's so many things there we could talk about, but we're largely going to ignore that, aside from noting that when God first promised, the very same promises that he makes in this text, when God first spoke to Abraham, he was about 75 years old. So we're talking about a 24-year difference between the first time God made these promises and this time that he makes the promises. Uh, I suspect that all of us know the sorrow and the disappointment of broken promises. My guess is that all of us are aware of some time where we have counted on something, somebody has promised something to us, we have counted upon that, and for whatever reason that has fallen through, and there is uh, uh, a sorrow about that. Sometimes... That's malicious. Sometimes there's an evil intent behind that. Sometimes somebody is intentionally trying to betray you, or trying to leave you hanging or insult you or upset you. Sometimes that's a case. But my guess is, for you, like me, most of the time, broken promises are kind of they're kind of benign. They're kind of innocent. They are not that big of a deal. Uh, they happen in our everyday kind of conversations. I have broken, made, and then broken many different promises, most of them with my family, and overwhelmingly most of those are basically just benign. I promise I will try not working so late. Uh, Sure, we'll get ice cream next time we go out, or let's see a movie together uh, here sometime in the near future. And those are promises that are made, and by and large they tend just to go on the wayside when they are broken. But how long between the giving of a promise and the fulfillment of that promise before you begin to doubt the promise, or more likely in my own scenario and probably with most of the people that I spend time with, how long between the giving of a promise and the fulfillment of the promise does it take before you just start living your life kind of ignoring that promise? Somebody promises they're going to do something, you wait for it, you wait for it, you don't really doubt them, you don't think that they're lying to you or that they're trying to do something evil, but after a while you wait so long for them to fulfill the promise that you just start living your life kind of without that promise, off to the side, forgetting that promise. Abram was 99 years old when God makes a series of promises to him. The very same promises, overwhelmingly, that he had made when Abram was 75 years old. Twenty-four-some years that God made these promises. What was it like for Abram waiting? Did he, like me, I suspect, begin to doubt that maybe you misunderstood? You didn't hear correctly? You didn't quite believe it, or did he more likely, like me, after a while just say, well okay, God promises me that, but I can't keep waiting for him. I have to live my life. Key concept in our text today is the idea of covenant. We've hit on that a couple of different times already Uh, in the scriptures and studying the book of Genesis. We've talked about covenant, and just a real quick review for us. Covenant is, a, covenant is a, a, a technical word to some extent that describes the intimacy of a relationship and of an agreement that exists between peoples and it talks about a trading of vows and an exchange of promises and expectations. But overwhelmingly for our purposes today, I want you to think of it in terms of a promise or a series of promises. A covenant is a, is a set of promises that God makes for us that he establishes with us and a couple of weeks ago we looked at this with a covenant of god that he makes with abram 75 years when he was 75 years old 24 years ago in genesis 15 and it's a series of promises that then bind us to god or bind god to us so that's kind of the the nature of a covenant it's a promise with vows that kind of link one together and here we have these promises that God then reasserts to Abram in chapter 17 that we're looking at. And what I want to do is I want to look a little bit at this promise, and I want you to do it with the recognition in the back of your head that Abram's heard these things 24 years ago. And he's been waiting 24 years. Okay, most of us, I'm looking around the room, most, most of us can go back 24 years. So just to place that, for yourself. Go back 20 some years in your life. Where were you? What were you doing? How old were your kids or your parents? Kind of put yourself in that framework. 24 years. Abram has heard this promise. How does he respond? Well, we're going to look at the covenant a couple of different ways and we're going to begin by focusing where the text, I think, focuses us, and that's upon the God of the covenant. The first thing that we want to talk about here is the God of the promise, the God of the covenant, and that's because it's so easy to jump ahead. It's so easy to say, wait, what are the promises, or what does God want from me, or when is God going to fulfill these promises, or how important are these promises? You you get excited about what these promises mean to me. But God doesn't want us to start that way. Notice how it begins right off the bat. Abram was 99 years old. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Now, it's been 24 years since God's been face-to-face with Abram. But my guess is that when God shows up in front of you and starts talking to you, that you don't need to be reintroduced. You know, it's not like Abram says, wait a minute, who is this guy that's talking to me again? He knows who God is! And yet God states right off the bat, he says, I am God Almighty. It's, it's kind of like coming up and, you know, the President of the United States or somebody says, you know, this is who I am. You're like, I know who you are already. That's not what God's doing here when he introduces himself to Abram. He's not saying, hey, remember me from 24 years ago? He is, this is the word, when he says, I am God Almighty, this is the El Shaddai. And we've talked about that before. That's a term that is being used here. Uh, this is God Almighty. Now, El Shaddai, the, the term Shaddai can take on a number of different meanings. There's lots of different ideas about what is involved in this. But clearly, whatever the term means, it carries a connotation of power. It carries the connotations of nurture and of fulfillment and of, uh, of being enough, sufficient. That's kind of what's behind that idea when God says before Abram, he stands there and says, I am God who is sufficient for you. I am the God who nurtures you. I am the God who, uh, the old translations run it as the God of heaven. The the God who rules in heaven. All of these terms are behind that idea when God stands before Abram and says I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. But it's not just in the announcement of who he is. When you read through the text uh, the text stresses or emphasizes Not just the fact that God is the one who starts speaking, but what God will do. The most repeated word in this text is I will. It's what God is defining what he is doing here. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will establish my covenant. I will give to your offspring. I will be their God. I will multiply you over and over again, this emphasis of what God himself is going to do. Now, why is that so important? It's so important, I think, in part because we get distracted again from the promises about the promises that God makes. God makes a promise for us, and we get excited about that promise, thinking about what that means for us. And here, as God makes these promises, and these are wonderful things. This covenant that God makes with uh, with Abraham is fabulous, and it still has wonderful bearing for us today, which is exactly Doug's point when he was reading the companion text. This is about us today. But that covenant that he makes with, with, uh, with, uh, with Abram, that covenant that we are all included in, ultimately, the emphasis, the focus of that covenant is not upon us, not on the great things that are happening, it is upon God. And so he says, I will, I will, I will. And imagine now, once again, being the recipient of these very same promises 24 years ago. And Abram wants desperately to live his life as a godly man. He desperately wants to say, okay, God's promised me these things. I'm going to live according to these promises. I'm going to live. I'm going to shape my life. I'm going to orient everything about myself around these promises that God has made for me. And he goes and he tries to do that, but year after year drags on, and none of the promises are fulfilled. God's given him all these promises, and none of them come about. And, and there's got to be in Abram's mind a while, Jesus, did I misunderstand? Or should I just put that in the back of my head and say, yeah, yeah, God's going to do that for me, but by golly, I've got to do this now. And God, when he shows up again and says, I am El Shaddai, I am God Almighty, and I will, and I will, and I will, and I will, and Abram's got to sit there and think, go, yep, I got it now. I got it now. God has promised for every believer in this room over and over again that He will be for you. God Almighty. That He will redeem your life. That He will... Transform your life, even now that he will, through this life that you're living right now, be shaping, molding, twisting, conforming you every day into his son's image. And you sit there and say, I heard that 24 years ago, and it's hard to see it. Where is it? And this text reminds us that God stands before you every day, and every time you open up the scriptures, and every time you come to worship, and every time you're gathering with people, and he says, I am El Shaddai, I will. I will. When you begin to doubt the promises of God, which all of you are way too mature to do, but if you're ever tempted to live your life like, yeah, I know I'm going to be redeemed. Yeah, I know God died for my sins. Yes, I know that I'm His child forever and ever. Yes, I know He has a home for me sometime, but I've got to focus my life right Here, right now, God says, I am the God of the covenant. I am the God of the promises. I am the God who says, right now, live your life this way. The God of the promise, the God of the covenant, is also the promise, the one who makes the promises of the covenant. Look for a second at the promises that God makes through this text. Because while he is the focus of this passage, Nevertheless, we can see these promises in verse 8 and, and following. I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, the land of Canaan, for everlasting possession. That's not where I wanted to start. Verse 6, yep, all right, verse 6, uh, I will make for you, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and the king shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between you and your offspring after you for generations as an everlasting covenant. He, so what is he promising here? He says, I will make to you many nations. Now, this is something that we have to slow down a little bit because most of us recognize that Abraham, if you're full, fulfill, aware of the biblical story, that Abraham becomes the father of the Israelite people. He becomes the father in, of, of the Jews. And we associate him that way and we recognize him that way. But that's not God's promise. God's promise here is that he will make of Abraham many nations. This is a global picture. Our God has not just an idea of a particular tribe, or not just of a group of people, not even a group like us who are gathered together. Our God has this global picture, and his idea is that the promise he's going to make to Abram, the promise that we all are a part of, is that we are part of a global ministry, a global focus of what the Lord is doing. I will make of you many nations and kings shall come from you. Now, that's not a promise that each and every one of us are going to be a king, although when you look in the New Testament, there is certain indications of royalty in the way we should be thinking of ourselves. We'll leave that for later. But it is an emphasis of the kind of kingship the kind of nations that our god is going to make those that are blessed this that is coming from abraham is not just uh the poor scraggly people but kings royalty and that that kingdom and those royalty will last forever the everlasting character of this is emphasized over and over again and it is repeated in this case and what i will be your god there is an intimacy there And finally, I will give to you a home. You will have a land. There will be a home. This is the promise. These are the promises that all of us are caught up in. That we are part, that your life is not yours alone but rather that you belong to our Lord and be belonging to him. There is a whole global kingdom here, a whole global perspective that we are wrapped up in. We are part of God's movements throughout the ages and throughout the entire world, that this is an everlasting movement that we are part of. Nothing that we are doing here is temporary. Everything that we do before the Lord extends into all eternity, and that God will be intimate with each and every one of you. That He will walk with you. That you will be His child without ever missing a beat. And that you have a home. You have a place where God has called you your own. These are the promises that He extends to you. And these are the promises that we should be shaping our lives with Every second of our days. And again, we look around after 24 years and you sit there and say, I'm still a sojourner. I don't have any children at all. I'm still lost and, and out of touch. I haven't heard from my God for years and years and years. And you get frustrated and you say, maybe God's going to fulfill these things. But that's sometime later. I've got to live my life right now. And the promises of the covenant remind us that that's not the case right now. God is your God, and right now God has extended to you these very promises. I want you to capture the magnitude of these promises, the magnitude of the covenant, for a second. Uh, you kind of you can pick this up in the English, uh, but if you know Hebrew, it just kind of shines a little bit. So it's kind of neat. Here's a quick little Hebrew lesson. Uh, if you look at verse two, there, I will make. Uh, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Okay, now, the greatly here is what I'm looking at. And this is characteristic of this whole passage. Uh, God, through this passage, uses lots of adverbs, He, he uses lots of, of emphasizing words. He wants you to see the, the size, the magnitude of the promise that He gives here. In this one, He says, I will multiply you greatly. Uh, There's a word in Hebrew that we use, it's like our English word, very, you know, you want to say that I love you, you say I love you very much, or something like that, we use the term very a lot. Uh, There's a Hebrew word where you do that, but right here in this case, it's not just uh, 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 that you may multiply, that I may multiply you very much, it's that I may multiply you very, very. You take that Hebrew word and you repeat it twice to stress this, the multitude of the magnification of God's work, that I will multiply you very, very in in this case. And so our English translation here picks up greatly to try to give you that picture. Down in verse 6, verse 6, God says, I I will make you exceedingly fruitful. This is, uh, for all the grammarians out there, this is an infinitive absolute. Uh, and an infinitive absolute is where you take the word and you use the, the word, and then you also use its adverbial form attached to it. So God here is saying, so that I will make you fruitfully fruitful. I will make you fruitfully fruitful. And numerous times throughout this text, he uses that kind of those kind of constructions to emphasize the magnitude of the promises to, of God. So often we settle for we. Because of that 24-year gap, because of that gap in our lives of of first hearing the gospel message and knowing of the promises of God and getting excited about what God's going to do in my life and the fact that I still live this bumpy, sinful, broken life each and every day, we tend to think, well, I know God is true and He's made me these promises. Maybe the promises just aren't that great. I mean, they're, they're good, but they're, they're for later, or they're, they're not that... They're okay, they're great and stuff, but I can't shape my life around them because they just aren't there. And the God of the covenant, who makes the promises of the covenant, stresses to you the magnitude of the covenant. No, God's promises are overly abundant. You can never wrap your hands around them. Don't let that 24-year gap fool you. Don't let the experiences of your own life shade you. Don't let Satan blind you from the reality of the magnitude of this covenant that is given for you. Part of biblical covenants throughout the scripture is an oath sign. some type of a tangible expression because here God's making promises and God is a spirit uh, and we don't know if God physically manifested himself before Abram or whatever if he spoke into his head or something like that but God's making concrete promises here to Abram and so he wants to give him some concrete sign that this is the case now most of us know the words uh, covenant from wow I can't get it off Uh, I was going to hold up my ring so uh, most of us know of, uh, of, of uh, covenants when we talk about marriage. Uh, a Marriage is a covenant that we make, and as a sign of that covenant, we often have a ring. I've done, I don't know, 80-so marriages or something along those lines, and I usually don't do this, but sometimes many of you will have been to weddings, and you'll see that you get to that time where you exchange the rings husband and wife have have exchanged vows already. Now, what sign do you bring of your covenant together? These rings, and then the pastor will take the ring. And he will comment something about the ring, something about the the ring that reflects back upon the marriage itself. Usually that it's a circle that is never-ending, and so shall your love for husband and wife be, blah, blah, blah. Something along those lines, okay? Um, Now, what's that doing is it's tying the sign to the covenant promises itself. So that we can actually say, look, this is my marriage covenant. Now, it's not, but it, I mean, my marriage covenant, but this is a sign of the marriage covenant. Noah, you, God promises, I'm not going to flood the earth ever again. And so as a sign of the, I'm not going to flood the earth ever again, he puts a physical picture, uh, the rainbow up in the sky, saying, look, here is the sign of the covenant. Right? Now, Abraham is being given a covenant by God. This promise that God is forever going to do these wonderful things for Abram, no matter how many years there are between the promise and the fulfillment, Abraham, trust me, and here's the sign that you can trust me. And he introduces circumcision. Circumcision is the sign of the covenant. And just like the ring is a circle, and like the rainbow connects with the water falling from the skies, there's a connection between the sign, the circumcision of the foreskin, and the promise of there being many, many children that follow. Uh, and we can work out the details of how the sign connects to the covenant some other time if you want. But I'm more interested in the covenant that each one of us lives under each and every day. That covenant promises of our God that he is going to be this God for each and every one of us. And so we have the covenant of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, every so often, and incidentally, as Doug mentioned earlier, this coming Thursday, we will be celebrating communion again together. And during that time, either Doug or myself will sit there and say, this is the covenant. This is the sign of the covenant. And then when we do the broken bread, it's not the bread that's a covenant of our Lord. It's the broken bread of the covenant that is His body It's not the wine that's the covenant, it's the poured wine, the shed wine, that is the shed blood of our Lord Jesus. And those physical signs are intended to accomplish the very same thing that the physical ring does for a marriage. It is supposed to remind you during those 24 years that it's so hard to hold passionately onto those promises that our God is the one who made the promise. That our God is the one who will fulfill the promise. That in all things we look and we count to our God. Not because of the validity of the sign. Not because I took communion and therefore I'm... No, but because God is the one who has made this promise for us. So we see finally the relationships that are built into this covenant. Now, I think this is important because if, I haven't, if you haven't run the analogy well enough for yourself yet, we live way too much of our lives in that 24-year gap between knowing, hearing, understanding the promises that God has made for us and yet struggling to live faithfully according to those promises. It, I, not that we doubt it, but that we just put it on the back burner because we don't see it coming to fruition. And so we kind of learn to ignore it. Look at the relationships of this covenant. Verse 3. God shows up says, I am El Shaddai. Then Abram fell on his face. No commentary. It's just, then Abram fell on his face. What's he doing? Did he trip? No, of course not. He's overwhelmed. Somebody giggled. Of course not. He's overwhelmed. And the only thing to do when you're overwhelmed by your God is worship. Every week when you come to worship, you are giving God that opportunity again to remind you of His covenant promises for you that he has made these promises for your salvation, that he has made these promises for your redemption, for your transformation, for your holiness that he is building in, that he is forever going to be your God and that you will forever be his child. And throughout the week, when it is hard to live into that promise, you come back to worship each and every week, and that's where, again, you are come face-to-face with the God who makes the covenant promises to you verse five no longer shall your name be called abram but your name shall be abraham all right now wouldn't it be great if abram meant loser and abraham meant father of many nations okay abraham means father of many nations and so wouldn't it be great if god says look Now that you're my child, I want to change you. You're no longer loser. You're now father of many nations. But Abram doesn't mean loser. It means exalted father. So he's changed Abram's name from exalted father to father of many nations. And I read that and I'm like, that's not much of a change. I'd kind of like to be, you know, exalted father uh, kind of a thing. So why exactly do you go through this name transition? Well, because naming something is entering into a new relationship with it. You own that which you name. Some of you have had the experience of naming your children and then your parents or your family members kind of look at you like, what name did you give them? Why did you give them that? And sometimes it goes so far as that they, call the, they refuse to call your child that name. What do you want to do to that family member? You're not allowed to do that to your family member. You know, you, no, you can't do that. Why? Because this is my child. I name this child. And God is saying, I name this child. This child is mine, and with the new name comes the new status, the new, the new uh, identity for that child. What happens when you adopt a child? You give them a new name. You give them a new name that represents their new status, their new identity, and when God renames Abraham, Abram into Abraham, he's not going from loser to wonderful person. He's going from not mine to mine. This one is mine, and for every person in here, he has given you a new name. This is not a Catholic renaming you or something like that. This is the name that he gives above every name. You are a Christian. You are a little Christ, He looks at you and identifies you that way, and he says, now finally, having been renamed, live faithfully into that name. You have a new purpose. The name carries with it a sense of purpose as you go forward. When you struggle with the fact that the promises are so good but I don't see them being fulfilled. I'd love to be transformed more and more every day into the image of Christ. I'd love to know every minute that God has committed to me and will never let me go. I'd love to have that sense of belonging, that, that intimacy with other believers, but I don't feel that all the time. And it's so easy to sit there and say, well, that's just promises that God will fulfill sometime in the future I get. You remind yourself of the God of the Covenant. The promises of the covenant, the magnitude of the covenant, you come and worship and celebrate so you can experience the sign of the covenant because you are in a new relationship now with the God of the covenant. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, how grateful we are again that you have not left us without the promises of the covenant without a sign of the covenant, without an opportunity to be children of the covenant. Lord, we so desperately desire to be faithful as you guide and direct us. Lord, we want to live according to the promises of the covenant. I I want desperately to live every day like you are overwhelming me as my God, that you are overwhelming us with the magnitude of the blessings that you give to us. Lord, when it is hard for us to see the fulfillment of your promises, remind us again of this covenant that you have made with us, with Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.